Hello, hello! Welcome back to Loki's Librarian. If you are new here, welcome! I am your librarian, Katrina. This is where I am reading through the enormous library books you see behind me, and then I give you a quick synopsis and I tell you what I think about them. So if you like books, just aren't sure what to read next, hit that subscribe button, like and share my videos, and let me know what you think in the comments. This week's book joined my library a year ago after a frustrating week reading another book about cults, so I look for something better, which is this week's book of the week, how to Be a Dictator, The Cult of Personality in the 20th Century by Frank DeCotter. And the accompanying cocktail is called Dictator, which is one and a half ounces of dark rum, one ounce of bonnel, three dashes of Boker's bitters or cardamom bitters, depending on what you can find, and two dashes of coffee extract. Or if you're like me and could not find coffee extract and did not have time to make your own, I'm going to be substituting double espresso vodka. I mean, all the recipes I found about making your own said to soak the coffee beans in vodka. So I figured this is close. This is close. We'll see how this goes. A little extra alcohol isn't going to hurt my liver any more or less than I already have done over this, you know, experiment. So let's do this. Despite having been disappointed with Cultish last year, I'm not sure if this is the book I was looking for on cults either. So uh, the reason I was disappointed last year was because the author was so terribly biased in her reporting. And just told one side of any given story to sell the narrative she was selling, which is, I'm not going to go into that. That's not this week's book. This week's book had to do about a cult of personality. So to be fair, the book Cultish, even though I disliked it and I disliked the story that she was telling and the narrative through which she told to tell it, did hit some basic points that are probably fair to cults. And I've got another book that I will be reading later this year and I think November is when I have it on my on my calendar because that's when I could squish it in but this week's book has to do with a cult of personality so what do I mean by that I mean he fully acknowledged and provided examples of fascism and communism so he crosses the spectrum of evil which is awesome I like that that's that unbiased storytelling so this book is not particularly about cults so it's not quite what I was looking for, but it's about cult of personality. What is that? Um, I actually had to refer to Wikipedia on this one, mostly because I think the author assumes knowledge of what he means by the term cult of personality. So here's the distinction. A cult is a social group defined by, and this is according to Wikipedia, so I'm not sure if I entirely buy each of these. This is just what I found, and it kind of fits, so we're going with it. A cult is a social group defined by unusual religious, spiritual, or philosophical beliefs and rituals or its common interest in a particular personality, object, or goal. Okay. For example, you could look at the book I read a few months ago on Nexium and Keith Rainier. That was actually a pretty solid example of a cult. A cult of personality is the result of an effort which is made to create an idealized heroic image of a leader by a government, often through unquestioning flattery and praise. So that's according to Wikipedia. And it, it does not contradict anything I read in this week's book of the week. So I'm willing to accept that as a solid definition. So those are the specific differences. Now, as Decatur specifies in his preface, or preface, I don't know how preface. This is, this is the problem with learning most of your vocabulary through reading versus hearing it is I'm probably mispronouncing words occasionally. Forgive me. This, his preface. There were over 100 governments in the 20th century alone that met the definition of a dictator, which is a political leader who possesses absolute power. So that is a dictator. 
Where's my ounce markers? There's my ounce markers. So, but he focused on eight very specifically. Uh, but And the reason he did that is because not all of the dictators in the 20th century built up or sought out to create a cult of personality. And he actually specifically gives an example of a dictator who did not seek out cult status, and that was Pol Pot, who kind of, rather than seeking to be the cult of personality around whom everything revolved, he hid his crimes behind the Khmer Rouge, rather than creating his own cult following. Okay, fair enough. I am all over the place today, just all over the place. So, specifically, Decatur singled out eight 20th century dictators who embraced the cult of personality on their way to power. And interestingly enough, of the eight, seven knew each other, were their heirs and descendants, and used each other to prop up their own regimes. Kind of horrifying on many levels. So, the eight he picked out were Mussolini, Hitler, Stalin, Mao Zedong, Kim Il-sung, Papa Doc Duvalier, Nikolai Ceausescu, and Mengistu. Three dashes of cardamom bitters. Mussolini and Hitler were fascists. Duvalier was simply despotic, although he despised communists, and the rest, Stalin, Mao, Kim Ceausescu, and Mengistu, were all communists. Not to say that Communist, I mean, communism, I think, automatically leads to a dictatorship, but I think so does fascism. It's just these are the ones that he picked out, so that, that's where we're at. Okay, two dashes. Oh, well, holy hell, that's pretty damn tasty. So a quick rundown of the connections, okay? Uh, Hitler and Mussolini were unqu they unquestionably knew each other, right? They had to have, they, there was a bit of a mutual admiration society going on between the two of them prior to World War II, and then they were allies as the Axis powers during World War II. So they unquestionably knew each other. This is a stirred cocktail. Give me a moment. I forgot the lid, so I'm having to do this very weirdly. Mussolini and Hitler knew each other. Stalin knew Hitler. Okay, they, they not just from hearing of each other, they actually knew each other. They were allies at the start of World War II, although Stalin was always kind of leery about Hitler because Stalin had read Mein Kampf where Hitler basically said that Russians were, you know, little better than Jews. They were all animals because Nazism. And he was right to not trust Hitler, obviously, since Hitler turned on him and attacked him and then Stalin ended up being our nominal allies during World War II. Now, in turn, Stalin propped up Mao Zedong and Kim Il-sung. Uh, while both of those dictators oversaw their own communist revolutions, they were getting money from Stalin. And for their part, Mao and Kim propped up Ceausescu and Mengistu. I mean, the odd man out of this medley of murderous madness is Papa Doc Duvalier of Haiti. He was never embraced by the communists, and he kind of sought out an alliance with the United States against Castro and Cuba in the 1960s and 70s. And we pretty much had no choice in accepting him, even though we knew he was a dictator and a murderer, because communism, it was right there. And communism sucks, don't get me wrong, but still. You can taste the coffee. That's not too bad. Don't know that it'll be my favorite go-to drink, but it's not bad. So, there are definite running themes for all of the dictators highlighted in this book. Uh, none of them came from wealthy or politically connected families, yet all rose to power and created a myth about themselves and their origins. The myth almost universally consisted of a humble man who was called upon to be served by popular vote, even though the popular vote was typically manufactured by a military coup. 
Once they had reached power, the dictator starts eliminating all political rivals, typically through politically sanctioned murder, but sometimes, depending on the circumstances, by shaming them into submission. Uh, Mao Zedong was particularly adept at this, and it kept political rivals in check by making them vow eternal allegiance and publicly shaming them for their failure to toe the party line. And he was apparently so vicious with his attacks that nobody else wanted to be called to task, and so he would pick his you know, whipping boy, and there they go. All of them surrounded themselves with sycophants, adoring toadies who would tell them that every decision they made was spot on and the sun showed out their buttholes. Hand in hand with the toadies and the myth of popular support came control of the media. Because if they can control the media, the dictator can spread the belief of that popular support. There, there's nobody to ever say, no, that's actually not true. We disagree with this vehemently because the dictator controls the media. Every dictator highlighted in this book took control of news outlets and would not allow dissenting opinion to be printed. Just wouldn't let it. In line with the control of the media, almost all of the dictators insisted on public parades celebrating their success as leaders. In the case of Manjistu, at least, the Koreans arrived on site and threatened the Ethiopians who refused to parade with brutal beatings and starvation if they did not participate. Uh, Ethiopia in the 1980s was already starving to death because of Mengistu's communist policies. The threat of less food was effective in securing cooperation from the local populace. In the communist countries, all of them used Marxist-Leninist thought to seize control, then began phasing out Marx and Lenin as important to the ideology. Except in Russia, I think even today those two remain leading figures in the country's zeitgeist. And violence so much violence. All of them used extreme violence against the people they purported to rule to seize and maintain control of their respective countries. It is interesting to note that of all of these, the only cult of personality to live past the creator's death is North Korea, where the Kim family is on the third generation of dictator, and to a lesser degree, Haiti. Um, that was a much shorter control after Papa Doc's death. I mean, Kim's not the only one to try and keep the cult going. He's just the only one who really succeeded. Uh, when Stalin, Mao, and Kim died, at least, the people were expected to loudly mourn the loss of their leaders. And if you didn't mourn loudly enough, you might find yourself thrown into a camp for re-education. Quality peopling there. I mean, I personally find it distasteful, like, when one of our former presidents die and the hate is piled on. Like, people go onto social media and be like, ding dong, the witch is dead. It's like, come on, guys. Show a little class. We're Americans here, Okay. But at the same time, I thank God that we live in a country where it is still possible to display your contempt, regardless of how poor the timing may be. So all of them rose through political chicanery. All of them had a robust underground working against them, or at least willing to speak the truth in the right circumstances. So what do I mean by that? Some of the countries broke free once death occurred. Some directly overthrew their dictators. Some, it was a slow decline. They just never quite rose up. One, obviously, Kim, the Kim dynasty in North Korea is still living under a dictatorship. So let's break this down. Uh, Mussolini was trying to escape Italy in April of 1945 when he was captured by communist partisans and shot. So he, he uh, definitely did not outlive his vision. Nobody was there to step up and take control after his death. In April 30th, 1945, Hitler shot him Self and his wife Eva Braun in Hitler's Berlin bunker ahead of the Red Army's invasion of Berlin. Their cult of personality did not survive them. There, I, I mean, Mussolini and Hitler, nothing survived past them. 
I don't know if there are people who still vaguely remember Mussolini with fondness in Italy, but I know that Hitler is very much considered a bad guy in Germany. Even though there are neo-Nazis cropping up all over the world, they kind of base their culture on a dead man and are pretty, pretty widely derided as loons and despicable human beings. I mean, nobody likes Nazis these days except for other Nazis. And I think even on some level, they're like, I mean, we kind of suck, but we suck together. So... Stalin died on March 5th, 1953, after a cerebral hemorrhage, and his cult kind of limped along under his successor, Nikita Khrushchev, until the Soviet Union ultimately collapsed 38 years later under Mikhail Gorbachev. Now, following Stalin's death, Khrushchev actually decried the cult of personality that he had built up, which caused problems for both Mao and Kim in China and North Korea, respectively. And it was Khrushchev's denouncement of the cult of personality that started the breaks of China and North Korea with Russia. And up until then, they'd kind of been one happy family and they didn't trust each other because how much can you trust somebody else who is also a murderous bastard? But the splits really started when Khrushchev said, we can't have this cult of personality. This is bad for, for, bad for Russia as a united front. Now that decrying of the cult of personality is fading because, of course, we have Vladimir Putin now and he's been kind of rising up his own cult of personality. It, it, but it's kind of yet to be seen how he's going to control media and social media, right? Media is one thing. That's easy to control the written word. Social media is a little bit more of a wild card. Mao Zedong, not as bad as you think, but let me get through Mao Zedong and I'll explain why. Mao Zedong died on September 9th, 1976, following a massive heart attack. The groundwork for a cult of personality was well laid and Xi Jinping, who has now been voted in as chairman for life in China, despite laws that were passed following Mao's death that ostensibly intended to prevent anyone else from seizing lifelong power. Xi Jinping is doing everything he can to control social media in China today. Um, I mean, dictators of the 20th century did not have to worry about you twit face contradicting them, but Putin and Xi are trying very hard to combat the relative anarchy of social media and the denouncements from unhappy citizens online. And we've got effect too. People here tend to forget because we get very steeped in our own, oh, they're denying our right to free speech. You know, they're not a platform, they're, or they're a publisher, not a platform. No, they're a platform, not a publisher. So they're not bound by anything. They can literally, they, they can deny you. They're privately owned companies. They can say we don't want to allow you to speak freely. That literally is their right. And it's your right to leave the platform. All right. And that's something people forget. You twit face are businesses and ultimately they want to make money. They lose out in millions of followers and probably billions of dollars if they aren't allowed to operate in China and Russia. And so they have a heavy profit motive for cracking down on dissenting voices in those countries. If everybody who disagrees with their policies would stop using them here in the United States, and there's a lot of people who bitch and moan about it, stop using it. Vote with your feet. Walk away. Stop using you twit face. And I'm aware of the irony of me posting this video on YouTube. I'm aware of that. I get it. But still, if you don't like their policies, take your business elsewhere. Okay? Help build up one of the people who is trying to displace them. They're out there. Find them. Off the soapbox, Papa Dr. Valier is the only one of all of them to include a truly religious element to his cult of personality. 
Uh, he kind of embraced and sold the idea that he was the living embodiment of the voodoo spirit Baron Samdi, who was the god of death. And he used his Tantan Makuts as death squads. And I feel like I read in The Serpent and the Rainbow many years ago that the Makuts would turn political dissidents over to be zombified. Did I read that in that book? I feel like I did. I feel like I should reread The Serpent and the Rainbow now. And it was a good book. Freaky. Right. Uh, voodoo is one of those really scary religions because I, I got, I took a class in anthropology decades ago when I was in college. Oh God. Oh God. It's been decades. I'm going to need a moment here. That just, should just ain't right. The anthropology class I took, the teacher said that, that when Hongons call their gods reply, I think I believe that to some level. I think they're very closely tied with their gods. And uh, it, it can be pretty scary. So it can be, I'm sure, marvelous and wonderful, but it can also be really terrifying to have a god directly respond to you. Anyways, Papa Dr. Valier died of heart disease and complications from diabetes on April 21st, 1971. His cult of personality limped along for about 15 years under his son, Jean-Claude Duvalier, a.k.a. Baby Doc, before Baby Doc was overthrown and lived most of the rest of his life in exile in France. Now the last two were really interesting. Uh, I think I heard in an interview with Marion Smith. He's the guy who runs like the, the victims of communism site that like no communist regime was ever overthrown by its people. I'm not sure. I, I may be misquoting him or misremembering the quote, but if he did say that, then he was incorrect because Nikolai Ceausescu and Mengistu Heil Mar Mariam Marjam were both overthrown and they were both communist dictators. Uh, Nikolai, Nikolai Ceausescu was the Romanian dictator installed by the Soviets in 1965, not by Stalin, but by the Soviets. And his cult of personality was almost entirely propped up by his extended family and because he granted them positions of power in Romania. So he was overthrown by the people he purported to rule. Stalin, Mao, Kim, Hitler, Duvalier, everybody up till now, with the exception of Mussolini and Hitler, had died of natural causes. And since Mussolini was shot by an invading army and Hitler was shot by himself, you really can't claim that they were overthrown by the people. Ceausescu was overthrown by the Romanian people. Uh, following a long series of declines in general wealth and happiness, as is very common under socialist slash communist rule, with only the elites getting richer, as is also common under communist and socialist rule. Yeah. Uh, Ceausescu set up a big public speech on December 21st, 1989. And because he had been insulated by his sycophants, he misread the mood of the crowd a big way, like bigly misread <laughs> the mood of the crowd. The sycophants. The problem with surrounding yourself only with sycophants and never with an honest person who will tell you what's what is that they're just going to keep telling you the sun is shining out of your butthole and they're also going to misread the room. So when Ceausescu steps up and starts blaming fascists for everything, chasing the good old left-right divide, the crowd started booing him. And when his wife and second-in-command, Elena Petrescu, tried to shame the crowd, basically, what is wrong with you people? Shut up. Your, your master is speaking. The crowd rioted basically and the Ceausescu's were forced to flee. They were caught several days later and executed by firing squad. 
Um, I feel like some of their sycophants also died, but they were certainly made to scatter, and democracy was restored to Romania. Okay, not quite overnight. It actually took a few years for them to get a constitution into place, but the principle is there. And last up was the Mengistu Helium Marium. Marium? Marium? He seized control of Ethiopia during a military junta as part of the DERG, which is what their socialist communist military organization was called, and then immediately began executing his political rivals. I mean, immediately. He basically began building up monuments to himself and dividing his country into state-run farms, very much like Stalin in the Ukraine. And like the Ukraine, millions died of starvation. Uh, if you grow up Gen X, you remember the whole We Are the World concert the, to benefit the starving people of Africa? This is the guy who was responsible for at least part of that starvation and for stoking a civil war that killed millions more. When the Soviet Union collapsed, so did support for Mengistu, and he became the second dictator on this list to be overthrown by the people he purported to rule. Um, he fled the country. As far as I know, he is still alive. He fled to Zimbabwe, where I think he still lives despite having been found guilty in absentia of genocide of his own people. His people tried his ass and found him guilty. So if he ever returns to Ethiopia, they will execute him. As they should. So minor details are different, right? And this one died of old age. This one was shot by his people. This one was shot by himself. But the details of the cult of personality are the same. Gain power, typically through a military overthrow of existing government. Seize control of the media to silence dissent. Surround yourself with toadies who will sing your praises to you and others. Force compliance through decadent military parades and draining the budget to monuments to yourself. Murder or force into labor anyone who disagrees with you, especially political rivals. Lather, rinse, repeat. Please note that no place is safe. It's entirely possible, if circumstances are just right, to install a dictator anywhere including the United States, possibly especially in the United States, because all it would take would be the right emergency, the right emergency slipping in and the wrong Congress to co-sign the bullshit, and we could slide right into a dictatorship really fast. Um, I think both Obama and Trump were building this cult of personality, although both failed on controlling the media thanks to this bizarro world dichotomy we have of MSNBC versus Fox News. I think they're both idiots, but thank God they both exist because they help narrow the line of bullshit into something resembling the truth. If you watch both on the same story, somewhere in the middle you're going to actually find out what's real. And if nothing else, they at least provide contrasting opinion if they don't, you know, if not unbiased facts. I mean, God knows neither is actually unbiased. This one was an interesting read. It was kind of a quick snapshot of key moments in a dictator's life and the common threads that ran through each movement that creates this cult of personality. Each of the dictators touched on have had extensive biographies written about them. So if you wanted to know more, it's fairly easy to find dedicated books to each one in turn. But if you just want to know enough to kind of seem smart on a topic in conversation, this is a quick guide to dictatorships in the 20th century. And it's not all-inclusive. Remember in the preface, he said there were over 100 in the 20th century alone. But this hits the top baddies, the ones with the highest body counts and the most terror associated with their names. And that's it for this week. Do let me know what you think in the comments. If there are other dictators you want to know more about specifically, or if you want to know more about one of these guys specifically, let me know. And I'll see you guys next week. Bye.